Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. And hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day as we wrap up what has been an unbelievable week. I mean, have we seen anything like this? At least not for some time. And it continues to um, every day. We see the impacts of the coronavirus impact our daily lives. And we'll talk about that more on our program today. We're going to talk with an economist with Kearns and Associates, Steve Meyer. Take a look at the market reaction to all this. Kevin Ross, president of the National Corn Growers Association, joins us. Keeping an eye on that other story, waiting the administration's decision on whether or not to appeal the SRE ruling of the Tenth Circuit Court. And some um, pretty strong comments being made by um, agri-groups and biofuels industry about the about this issue, and we'll get Kevin Ross's thoughts a little bit later on. But we're going to start it off talking with DTN Ag Policy Editor Chris Clayton. Chris, thank you for joining us. Uh, wow, you have to think long and hard to try to remember a, a week quite like this one, right? Uh, yeah, that's absolutely right. It's um, it's hard to um, take it all in. Um, I really began using the words uh, truly black swan event uh, as we watched what was happening yesterday. You know, we have often speculated and w- tried to warn people what would happen, the disruptions that would happen if there was ever a major animal disease outbreak in this country. And we've been on the guard, of course, against African swine fever and tried to explain what would happen if we had some kind of a major outbreak like that. Now you multiply that even more by seeing a, a human virus like this that uh, is threatening. Uh, and you see how... I don't know that any of us could foresee how all of our lives would be so impacted and so many different things would be affected by this. Yeah, I mean, that's the great summary, Mike. You just did not anticipate this. I mean, three weeks ago, I was at the USDA Outlook Conference uh, in Washington, you know, talking about markets for the year, trade for the year, uh, things of that nature. Nobody, none of us foresaw anything quite like this happening um, just three weeks ago. And uh, now all of the outlook forecasts really have to be just kind of set aside because uh, we're, you know, as I heard a couple times yesterday, we're in uncharted territory in a sense. Um, So... Um, you know, I, I could not keep track of all of the different event cancellations alone yesterday uh, and the day before. Uh, it, so it's hard to uh, keep pace with what's going on. And hard to predict now when it's back to business as usual. That seems like a long ways off right now uh, because there's still so much unknown uh, we still don't uh, know how long this is going to take to get under control and then how long the recovery is to, for things to get, quote, unquote, back to normal afterwards. Yeah, and, you know, if you look at what happened in 2008 and 2009 as, 
as global trade just basically froze for a while, um, this, this I think has got to be the uh, the concern that we, we really haven't even had time to really fully address yet is uh, what really needs to happen to uh, to stimulate uh, sale of goods everywhere because this is going to become a uh, a huge impact on uh, on our economy in so many different ways. You know, I think it also, I've been thinking about this, it's a great reminder to us of how vulnerable we really are. I mean, we think we're so protected and we think we have technology that fixes all problems anymore. And something like this happens and it reminds us uh, that we're much more vulnerable than we think we are. Yeah, and, and I'm not sure we've fully really seen all the impacts yet. You know, we've been looking a little bit in terms of the uh, the loss of rural hospitals um, in, in particular areas of the country, and uh, and now we need that healthcare system to be as uh, strong as possible. And we have had uh, hundreds of rural hospitals shut shut down. Rural Americans are largely, uh, you know, an older population as well. Um, we are fortunate that, in some sense, that. Uh, you know, more isolated in a sense, but um, but we we really haven't fully understood and seen what the possible impacts might be as uh, as this virus uh, spreads through rural America. Yeah, we were talking with uh, the National Rural Health Association uh, yesterday about uh, the challenges. An already uh, challenged rural health care system could really be put. Uh, uh, you know, under great strain. But as you said, I mean, I guess it's a two-edged sword. In rural America, people being more isolated uh, and at a time when we're being urged to kind of stay away from other people as much as we can. So that's uh, that's maybe a positive. But the, the negative is, uh, is the healthcare system able to handle, you know, what might be coming could get uh, overwhelmed. So we'll have to watch that closely. We're talking with Chris Clayton, DTN Ag Policy Editor, uh, Chris, the other thing we we're reminded of is again how dependent we'd become on China for things like medicines, antibiotics, and things that we'll need to fight this. Uh, I wonder if the post-coronavirus era will get us looking at bringing uh, production back to the United States on a lot of these things. Uh, you know, I think that was some of the the things that are being looked at in some of this legislation that uh, is being bounced around the House and Senate right now is uh, trying to ensure some of these uh, um, medical staples are being uh, produced more in the United States. Uh, and, you know, we, we take this stuff for granted until we truly need it. So, uh, so that's something that uh, I, I think is being kicked around right now. But, uh, this is going to be another one of those things where we, you know, spend a lot of time after the fact mulling over just where, where the uh, the flaws in the system were, and how we uh, how we try to resolve it. Um, we saw that after the banking crisis of uh, 2008-2009, and we're certainly going to have, uh, see that kind of situation revisited again. But it's going to take a while. Uh, this isn't something that can be fixed. Uh, on a dime, so to speak. So, 
Yeah, it's a serious topic. It's going to be a long time to work its work our way through it. On on the lighter side, I mentioned this on Twitter yesterday. I'm always amazed at any type of emergency, whether it's a threat of a storm or something like this, that uh, people in this country so often one of their the first responses they have is to go buy toilet paper. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it seems I, like. There must yeah, be an underlying and, uh, fear that people have about running out of toilet paper, I guess, in this country. So, uh, well, myself, I, I, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do with uh, with all of the sports shut down. Uh, I don't know how to function if I don't have uh, ESPN to watch. So, yeah. uh, that's my concern. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people at home and they can't watch the ball game. So, well, we're all dealing with a lot of different things. Chris, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Thank you, and have a good weekend. You too. Chris Clayton with DTN. Up next, we'll talk with economist Steve Meyer. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Farmers can't choose the weather, trade policy, or market prices, but they can choose the most advanced dicamba with confidence. Ingenia Herbicide has the lowest volatility of all dicamba salts for more successful on-target applications, and it's straight from the dicamba experts, BASF. So make the confident choice for your soybean crop. Talk to your BASF rep or authorized retailer. Ingenia Herbicide is a U.S. EPA restricted-use pesticide. Additional state restrictions may apply. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, as we continue to uh, try to get our hands around, our heads around this uh, coronavirus situation, it, it continues to impact our lives in more and more ways every day. Trying to get a handle on all this, uh, we look at it from a lot of different perspectives. Joining us now is uh, Kearns & Associates economist Steve Meyer. Steve, thanks for joining us. Uh, it's been repeated many times now this is uncharted waters uncharted territory of what we're dealing with now it's it's just hard to imagine it was impossible for us to imagine just a couple weeks ago the scope of this and how much this would affect our daily lives in so many different ways yeah yeah you're uh, playing joe walsh and life in the first lane coming in there was pretty appropriate i think um um, you never know what's going to happen. I mean, we've got so, so many changes so quickly here. And they're going to be with us for a little while. You know, we uh, we think that the things that we're doing will reduce the spread of this virus. And, and it, it makes a lot of sense to try to do things that reduce the load on the healthcare system so that you can handle it. I think Italy is running into some real problems on that. But, you know, the, all of this stuff about viruses and spreads and healthcare system is way beyond my pay grade, so I uh, probably ought to leave that alone. Well, let's look at things like supply chain management. Uh, we we know if you go to the stores right now, you may have a hard time finding hand sanitizers or, or chlorine wipes or toilet paper or whatever it may be, but uh, what about... Yeah the food supply and concern about workers and uh, the ability to move product. Uh, should we be concerned about uh, the food supply chain? Well, I think we should be concerned about it. Should we be alarmist about it? I don't think so. I mean, that, that's a pretty diverse thing in the United States. There are a lot of people involved in that. And so uh, you don't, I, I, I would say the probability of large chunks of it going down at the same time is pretty low, okay? 
Now, the, the, the caveat on that is the choke points in the system, and uh, and I think the biggest choke points we have in any of the agricultural systems in the United States is that processing plant. I mean, every every animal that's that's harvested in this country has to go through a processing plant, and um, in in most cases, we're running those about as full as they can be run. I mean, you know, the beef industry's been in a a capacity crunch for about three years and remains in one. Uh, the pork industry has been tight on capacity since last fall, and uh, the prospects for this fall are, are kind of daunting on that as far as the number of hogs relative to capacity. And so we're sitting here and, you know, looking at what, what might happen if um, a plant has a large number of coronavirus cases and uh, – Will they will they close that plant temporarily to try to protect the other workers? Uh, will they just charge on through it? Uh, you know, uh, tell them to stay home if they don't feel good. I I, I don't know that that's a good thing to do. Um, I, you know, as I think about it, I, I think if we lose a plant in a place with other plants, uh, I think we can probably make that up. I look back at the fire at the Holcomb Kansas plant beef plant last fall. And it certainly disrupted it for a week or so, but there's other plants in that area, and they picked up the flax and got the cattle slaughtered, and, and the prices bounced back. And if the cattle price bounced back, the meat price came back down. Um, if we lose an isolated plant, though, that becomes uh, a little more problematic. Um, uh, it's hard to get those hogs somewhere else. Um, if you lose two, then you probably have a problem on your hands. So... That's my biggest concern at this moment. Now, do I think that's probable? Um, I don't know enough about uh, human um, uh, virus transmission and diseases and epidemiology to say if that's probable. This thing is spreading to lots of places, and um, and and in that vein, you have to think that some of these precautions are probably advisable. Um, it's kind of unbelievable, but I can't argue with uh, with kind of the logic behind it at this point but you were concerned about this fall especially as far as uh, capacity at our processing yeah. plants already so if you if anything yeah. disrupts that then it's really going to be a, it could could potentially be a serious situation well it could it could but now the, the, we got to remember that this is probably a short-run deal i mean a couple of weeks you know, uh, most places would probably be back up and running and you'd have some control. Now, that assumes that the things you're doing economy-wide and population-wide are effective. You know, there have been countries, Italy being the most notable, that kind of did let, it looks like this thing kind of got away from them. And so they're having some real problems playing catch-up on that. So in that zone, precaution is probably good. Now, markets hate uncertainty. And so when you ratchet up the, the uncertainty like we had this last week, guess what? Markets go down. I mean, people bail out of them. And so that's what's happened to the stock market. That's what's happened to hogs. We can see what's going on today. I'm not in the office at the moment. Uh, but still, um, you know, this kind of impact should not be a surprise. And, and you know, there are, there are some evidence, I guess, from uh, some kind of runs on things at the, at the stores. Uh, we we even hear that you know lots of meat shelves are, are not stocked very well at the moment, so that says that people might have been stocking up some, and, and that means that down the road you know you're going to have to refill those stores and 
um, you're going to have to come back behind that and fill. Uh, you know, will people, the amount of product that people are eating at home be offset by a reduction in the amount of product they're eating at restaurants? And there'll be some of that for sure. I don't think pork would get hit really hard by the restaurant thing. We normally don't in those situations because we're not the most expensive thing and we don't have a lot of exposure on restaurant menus. Uh, but still, you know, uh, it's certainly disruptive to the normal operations of things. We're talking with Steve Meyer, event economist for Kearns and Associates. Steve, uh, this reminds us again why uh, we're trying to we're being we are being so um, vigilant in, in trying to keep African swine fever out of this country. I and mean, we, we see what happens when these viruses come in animals yeah. uh, and, and humans. I mean, the, the the disruption that takes place, not to mention in this case, the threat to human life, but in the case of the animal uh, uh, viruses, uh, what that could mean to, uh, you know, uh, the movement of product within a country as well as the production. So it's a reminder to us uh, why we always have to be on guard as best we can, but also it reminds us again how vulnerable we can be as well. Well, it certainly does. And and, and I, I'll say a human, a human disease, uh, I think it's fairly easier to move around than an animal disease just because humans have contact with each other and we don't necessarily have human-to-animal contact. So um, given control measures and the fact that uh, we are in control of the pig out there, for instance, uh, all the pigs, and somebody is ultimately in control of those, um, you know, that's probably a better and easier situation than this one is where we're dealing with humans that, you know, we have some civil rights, and there are some things like that that we can't, we won't usurp on this situation, or we won't usurp for very long anyway. Um, you know, if the situation comes, gets serious, serious enough, we'll probably see some lockdowns like we've seen in other other countries. But I don't think there's anything to suggest that we're even close to that in the U.S. And we're taking some pretty, pretty draconian um, uh, preventive measures here. I mean, my gosh, they postponed the Masters this morning. This is serious. So. And when we look at how it changes people's lifestyles and people not going out as much, uh, and so it changes eating patterns and things, you alluded to this earlier. So, yeah. I mean, it's amazing how all the way down to just how we conduct our, our daily lives and how the routines are different. Uh, that has a ripple effect throughout the, the whole economy. It does. Let's just consider just a few things here. Number one is if people start staying home and eating less restaurants, let's say that they're just not traveling as much on business. What does that do to white tablecloth restaurant business? Okay? I mean, it takes a hit. There's not much question because they depend on business entertainment and travel and those kinds of things for a lot of their business. And who does that hit? Well, it's high-end beef. It hits it's chicken. It really doesn't hit much pork because there's not a lot of pork on those menus, okay? So that's one thing to think about. Um, if people start buying at home, here's another one. You just canceled a whole bunch of baseball games. What do you think is going to happen to hot dog business? I mean, you know, and, and so that, and that's, that'll, that'll hit pork trimmings directly uh, without much question. And I don't know if we'll eat enough hot dogs at home to make up for the amount we eat at ballparks. And so... Um, yeah, it, it is really one of those things, and I don't think you have any experience to lean on on something like this, uh, in, you know, in my career, uh, of this kind of widespread, distress, uh, you know, this kind of tamping down of economic activity and, and, and uh, human movement. Right. Yeah, we really are kind of feeling our way through this. 
All right, Steve, thanks for being with us. Thank you for being with us. Thank you. Steve Meyer, economist with Kearns & Associates. Up next, Kevin Ross, president of the National Corn Growers Association. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Weeds want to restrict your freedom and crush the spirit of your soybeans. Never fear. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of superior weed control is here with Liberty Herbicide. Stand proud with greater application flexibility, unmatched convenience, and excellent performance combined with the Liberty Link, Liberty Link GT27, and Enlist E3 trait systems. And it has no known resistance in U.S. row crops. Talk with your BASF rep or authorized retailer about Liberty Herbicide. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, as the coronavirus dominates the news and much of our thinking and activities these days, there are a lot of other issues uh, to be watching. And one of those is the administration's pending decision on whether or not to appeal the Tenth Circuit Court ruling on small refinery exemptions to the renewable fuel standard. Kevin Ross is with us, president of the National Corn Growers Association, and um, certainly ag groups in general and the biofuels industry in particular is made making a, a strong push to the administration to not appeal that decision. Kevin, thanks for joining us. Uh, I I don't know how many more times you could say it or how more str- much more strongly you could say it to, to get your message across to the administration. Now you just have to wait to see if they're listening. Yeah, hey, Mike, it's, uh, it's just one of those things that keeps, uh, you know, keeps rearing its ugly head, it seems. And, um, you know, at this point, uh, you know, we won the, the 10th Circuit case. Um, that was something that uh, NCGA, along with some of the other groups, um, were, you know, were were uh, involved in and and uh, won that case three to zero. So you know, should there be an appeal, um, the likelihood of that, uh, you know, even getting brought up or them winning is very very slim. And and that's what's just more frustrating about it is that uh, uh, you know it just seems like further delay for a decision that's been made. And the key would be if there is an appeal process, even if they would eventually lose the appeal, what happens in the meantime? Do they keep granting these exemptions or do they kind of put a hold on that? We kind of have to wait and see on that. Well, that's that's true. And we're, uh, um, you know, we're wondering, we certainly believe that they should not grant any more um, during this time while they're while they're waiting to see uh, about any appeals. Um, uh, that that to me would be uh you know, just something that to to continue to confuse the issue, and and uh, uh, we just like to see them hold off and make sure this thing is done, um, and then see them apply that Tenth Circuit ruling across the you know the entire U.S. That's what uh, the EPA typically does, um, you know, in any type of a regional uh, ruling. Obviously, it's a federal agency, so uh, so its laws usually apply federally or you know across across a broader area than than just one region. But uh, um, you know, certainly. Uh, certainly an, an issue that, like I said, Mike, I, I, I mean, I'm not going to say I'd rather be talking about coronavirus, but uh, I'd, uh, this thing seems to have gone on and on, and uh, we're just, uh, you know, just like to see some resolution to this thing. Well, especially when the EPA used an earlier court ruling as their justification for granting waivers. Now, if they appeal, aren't they saying, well, now we're not going to pay attention to the court ruling? Well, that, that certainly, uh, you know, could be could be viewed that way. I don't know if um, 
Yeah, I'm not sure that's how I would look at it. I would personally just say that uh, uh, that looking at this thing right now, there's just no reason for him to appeal. Uh, the chances of that that you know a win there are just so slim. Um, and again, you know, it's three to zero. Uh, there's there's nobody in that court that uh, that thought there was. Uh, and it was three different pillars of this decision that they were that they were wrong on, and it was based the decision was based upon. And so, um, throughout that, you know, I think uh, you know I think it's really easy for us to say that this thing should should be uh, applied nationwide and, and move on. Um, and you know, I just I can't understand why we can't uh, you know why we can't move past this thing and and uh, understand that the RFS should be uh, upheld with its full intent of the law. And you know, and just move on. And that's what's getting you know again frustrating. Uh, continues to be frustrating for uh, for a lot of folks, and certainly in the uh, biofuels industry. And possibly they'll decide not to appeal it. Uh, they're looking at it during these two weeks. Uh, obviously, there are a lot of other things going on the government's dealing with right now. So you just wonder what the decision will be. But you also have to wonder why are they? Why did they even need this two weeks? Uh, why were they even considering an appeal? Yeah, I know. Um, I know oil's been in their ear uh, ever since they lost the case. Uh, you know they're in the Tenth Circuit. They've, they've been uh, all over EPA talking about this, and and uh, we've been doing the same. Um, but uh, it it uh, certainly seems like you know they've they've got a little little extra help there inside EPA or something. Um, and that's just uh, you know I, <laughs> EPA shouldn't be working for oil. That's for sure. So um, we're going to continue to push and continue to. to uh, uh, you know, ask the administration to uphold its, uh, you know, its commitment to to farmers, and certainly the uh, uh, all the talk about, uh, you know, about how much they uh, they care about farmers. Well, this is something that farmers care about back, so they need to uh, need to understand that. I think that that this is, uh, you know, something that we all understand is impacting our markets and impacting, uh, you know, the biofuel marketplace, which which is so vitally important to the grains. And that's a big point. We're talking with Kevin Ross, president of the National Corn Growers Association. Kevin, it's been brought up that this could have an impact on how farmers, in particular folks in rural America, will vote in this presidential election, uh, something that uh, the, the administration will need to look at as well as they weigh the two options here. Yeah, I think whenever uh, you know, whenever somebody goes to the polls, they they view uh, or they you know take into account a lot of different factors. But um, you know, anytime something that uh, something like this uh, continues to uh, you, you know, I think pull out support from uh, from the biodiesel industry or in the biofuels industry and ethanol, um, all of these, uh, you know, anytime you're pulling pulling that type of uh, support and the uh, uh, taking again the integrity of the RFS and kind of uh, you know, kind of stripping pieces away. Um, I think that anytime you're looking at that and people view that issue as important as they do on the farm, um, you know, we've got a. It's definitely going to have some type of an impact. Uh, you know, I think um, all of these discussions when it comes to agriculture uh, out here in the rural America, uh, you got to look at a lot of different pieces, and and uh, folks will you know take that to the polls and figure out how they want to, you know, how they want to view uh, what's going on in the world today and. Um, a lot of different folks, you know, have, have looked at these types of issues, and the uh, uh, fact is we, we should be winning these issues, and, and uh, they're issues that are not just impacting rural America. They're issues that impact citizens all over across the U.S., and, 
you know, ethanol and biodiesel have such positive impacts, not just for uh, the farm level, but but certainly for air quality and and uh, for the sustainability uh, discussion as well. Um, we can win on all these issues, and we just need a little bit of a little bit of support. You know, we've been reminded here in the last few days, even though we're preoccupied by the coronavirus, we also had this situation in the oil market, and you got you got a couple of oil producing countries going at it, and what that does to uh, the oil market, and it reminds us how that impacts us here. It should also remind us, hey, we have a domestic fuels industry here that we need to support uh, that gives us protection uh, on an energy level from these kind of things. Yeah, it sure does. Uh, you know, the liquid fuel market, uh, if if you get, uh, you know, out and about and across the U.S., and, and I've had the, the good fortune to be able to do some of those things and and see, uh, you know, how large our entire liquid fuel market is in the U.S., and this is something that's not going anywhere. This is something that, for us, uh, we need to continue to take care of and make sure we're, uh, you know, talking about ways that we can be part of solutions. Um, but for us, you know, ethanol and, and, uh, and biodiesel are just so important in general uh, at the farm level, but, you know, Again, I can't stress the the importance of these things uh, worldwide, and and even uh, just for our nation, the economy right now. And when you talk about that that foreign market issue and the issues that are going on uh, across the world in the oil industry, um, I tell you what, it uh, it certainly does make you step up and say, okay, we've got you know we've got the ability to produce this clean, green, renewable fuel, and you know how do we take care of those markets here uh, and make sure that we're you know not just supporting those markets themselves, but also uh, all the other things that uh, and the benefits that come with biofuels. And that's that's really what uh, the discussion should be about. I think that's uh, uh, actually a much simpler discussion than sometimes we try to make it. Well, it shows how quickly things can change. As we came into this year, we were feeling pretty good about trade deals being done. And uh, then that Tenth Circuit Court ruling came down. It looked like, wow, that's going to be really great news for the biofuels industry. And it kind of... Arrow was pointing up on a lot of things, and then the coronavirus comes along and kind of puts everything on hold, at least, and brings into question some things moving forward. Yeah, it's uh, it's really interesting um, to see what uh, you know. This is truly a black swan event, um, and and I think uh, sure, in some ways, maybe there's a. Maybe there's some overreaction, but maybe not. And that's the uh, that's the thing right now. There's so many unknowns with this uh, uh, with this thing. And I'm not a health expert by any means, but uh, we can certainly see impacts to to uh, so many aspects of the economy, and uh, and certainly on these trade deals. And and um, when you shut down, uh, you know, so much travel back and forth, and and uh, how markets are serviced. Yes, goods can still move, and there's a lot of things that are still moving, um, you know, in and out of countries. Uh, as far as you know, goods go, but the people and the people that make the deals and these types of things that are uh, that are not there, um, that's those are some things that have long-term impacts as well. And uh, it, certainly, we've got great communications uh, electronically anymore, but um, it, it's really you know this whole thing uh, until we get you know a little better handle on it from a uh, you know from a health standpoint, I think we're uh, a long ways from figuring out the true economic impact and and uh, even all the way down, you know, to the farm level, what that really means for us uh, on the farm, whether it's in the in the grains industries or certainly the uh, uh, beef, pork, and poultry uh, as well, um, and our friends there. I mean, there's uh, just so many of these goods that have to move 
Uh, on the bright side, you know, people are still going to have to eat, and that's, uh, you know, the bread and butter of what we do is uh, is in those uh, animal ag industries, and people are still going to have to move goods, and so with the fuels and uh, that are out there, we're still going to be making, you know, making these products and moving them. Kevin, good to talk with you. Thank you very much. Hey, thanks, Mike. I appreciate you having me on. Take care. Kevin Ross, president of the National Corn Growers Association. Up next, some tips uh, getting uh, those fuel tanks ready for spring planting time. We'll talk about that next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And welcome back to Adams on Agriculture. Planting season almost here, but before you receive that spring fuel delivery, it's very important to make sure your bulk tank is ready. I'm going to talk about that, some tips today that will hopefully be very helpful to you. As throughout the winter, condensation and other contaminants can accumulate inside a tank, and if they make it into your equipment, you're going to have some problems. We're talking today with Chad Christensen, a premium diesel expert at CHS's Cenex brand. He has some very important tips to help you maximize your uptime with some bulk tank spring cleaning. Chad, thanks for joining us. Let's talk first of all about the problems that can occur from water and dirt in those tanks. Yeah, well, both water and dirt can really compromise tank filters, and that's your first line of defense for your engine's equipment. And they can compromise those filters by distorting the filter, and and the water and the dirt collects on those uh, filtered uh, filter pleats and making them wavy, and that's what really allows those contaminants to pass through. And and that's just gonna, you know provide damage to your fuel injectors it's going to impact your power and fuel efficiency and, and lead to that unwanted downtime so just sitting through the winter uh, problems can uh, be uh, accumulating if you don't uh, take the proper action this spring yeah absolutely i mean that's why you need to make sure you're you're checking your fuel tank uh, before those deliveries so then how can farmers, what should they do to uh, properly prepare their tanks for that spring fuel delivery? Well, there's several easy checks that they can go through to, to ensure that smooth planting this, for this season. Um, number one, and probably the easiest, to, is to ensure that tank is in the correct area on your, on your yard. Make sure you're avoiding those low-lying areas that might collect uh, ice melt or, or rain accumulation and then as easy as inspecting gaskets, um, pump fil- filters, um, and, and your f- uh, fill caps. Um, and then if you do find any water in there, make sure you're draining that, you're removing that water and any contaminants out to the bottom of that tank. So those are all things that if you take the time to do them the, this spring, it's going to pay off in the long run. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you do find some water in the bottom of that tank um, from over the over the winter season, you know, go ahead and, and work with your fuel provider to go ahead and take a sample of that. Um, if there is, like I said, if there is water, go ahead and treat that with a biocide. And, and then going forward, check all those deliveries uh, for water moving forward after the delivery. 
Yeah, let's talk about some things farmers can do to, to minimize bulk tank issues to begin with. Well, I think using a premium diesel like Ruby Fieldmaster or Synex Roadmaster XL, uh, it, it'd be step number one. And, and we utilize a industry-leading additive package, uh, and, and specific to the bulk tank maintenance uh, portion of it um, is our demulsifier, and, and that pushes any of the water that might have accumulated to the bottom of that tank so it can be drained off. Um, and then next is our aggressive detergents, and that really ensures the cleanliness all the way from that storage tank to those injector tips. Um, and then probably lastly around the tank maintenance piece is our, is our storage stabilizer, and that really prevents a breakdown of, of that diesel fuel that leads to those unti- unplanned repairs and costing, costing those farmers time and, and, and money. So don't take a chance that your tank's okay. Uh, take the proper steps. It'll pay off in the long run. Yeah, absolutely. I think utilizing a premium diesel will, will really get you set up um, for a for a very effective uh, planting season come springtime. You could wind up with, with some problems during the season that could have been avoided had you taken the proper maintenance measures with your, your tank. And a farmer might not even think back that it was the tank, not even realize that was the problem. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the beauty of of our premium diesel, the Roadmaster and the Ruby Fieldmaster, is that, you know, we're, we've got the additive package set up and designed to, to avoid those problems down the road and, and solving those issues at the fuel tank before it gets into your equipment. Good tips to minimize downtime and maximize uptime as you get ready to go to the fields this spring. We're talking with Chad Christensen, a premium diesel expert at CHS's Synex brand. Chad, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Mike. And as we wrap things up today, just some thoughts on uh, what we're dealing with right now with this coronavirus. You know, these are unprecedented times and events that we're, we're going through. Uh, the events that are being canceled, schools being closed, warnings to avoid gathering in large group settings, a disruption in our daily lives. Now, some say we are overreacting, and maybe we are, but only time will tell. Only as we get further down the road and look back will we really know if we've overreacted or not. In the meantime, it's probably best to err on the side of caution. What this should remind us of, though, is that we are more vulnerable than we think. We tend to assume incorrectly that things like this can't happen to us. We're finding out they can. And we also tend to place our confidence in technology and systems and agencies and government. Once again, we're reminded that they are not foolproof. It's important for us to take all the precautions we can and look out for our, ourselves, our families, and for one another to be aware of each other's situations. It's not time to play politics. It's not time to uh, play politics with people's lives. Maybe this will be a wake-up call to stop looking at every situation based on political party preference. Now more than ever, we need to work together, regardless of our political preferences, and put people and country first. We should be doing this anyway, but we've gotten away from that, and we've gotten away from what makes our country so special. Working together with God's guidance, we will get through this and hopefully learn some important lessons that will help us going forward, not just in the medical field, but in all walks of life. 
That wraps it up for today. Thank you for joining us. Have a great weekend, a safe weekend. Hope you'll join us again on Monday right here on AOA.